the two brothers in their sports podcast. Our topics this week are Jamal Adams requesting a trade and the MLB's plan to get back to action. And at the end, we have an interview with former NFL player, motivational speaker, and best-selling author Marcus Ogden. So the big question in New York is, why does Jamal Adams want out? According to Adam Schefter, the Jets' Pro Bowl safety Jamal Adams would like a trade to the Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, Seahawks, or 49ers. And that's two NFC East teams. So look, I think I think he's going to head to the Cowboys. We remember last season, the GM said that he's going to be a Jets forever. He's not going to trade him. And then he heard trade offers, and Jamal Adams got angry. If I was a GM in the first place, I wouldn't even say that to Jamal Adams. Because if you got a really good trade, you're probably going to want to accept it. So that's one of the problems. And then the Cowboys were interested, and there was rumors that he might even go to the Cowboys last season. And we both know that the Cowboys are interested, and Jamal, Jamal Adams is interested. And he knows that the Cowboys' weakness is safety. They didn't get a safety in the draft. They're being criticized for it. If they land one of the best strong safeties in the league, think about how their defense is going to be. Yeah, I agree with that, but I just don't think the Cowboys have the cap space. Dak still hasn't signed the franchise tag yet. That, oh, yeah, that's kind of the problem. Yes, and, and they, they're already so limited on cap space. And with coronavirus, their new, their new plan, the NFL's new plan, might involve no fans. So the cap would have to go down next year, and that would leave them with a huge problem with Dak Prescott. So I just don't think he'll go to the Cowboys. No, because if they do let him stay in the franchise tag and the cap goes down, Dak knows that if he doesn't sign with the Cowboys, he's not going to get a huge cap deal with anyone else either because of the coronavirus. So it could be a good move. It could be a bad move. The other thing about this is that is the problem. Dak Prescott, if they sign a humongous deal with him and he gets a lot of money, the cap space is going to be tiny, and I'm pretty sure that he'd take one of Jamal Adams would take one of the better teams, not Mr. Eight and Eight team, like Jerry Jones leading them eight and eight. I believe that he would take the better team if they're giving him more money, if they have more cap space, and if they're supposed to be better this season. Yeah, Jamal Adams would. I think he wants a a deal like he said in a tweet that he's not going to get. Mahomes' money, which he said was forty to sixty million dollars a year, but he wants some money, and he—if the Cowboys sign him, they just won't have enough space. Now to my teams, I think he'll either go to the Ravens, Chiefs, or Seahawks. The reason for the Ravens and Chiefs is because he wants to go to a winning team, and last year the Ravens had the best um, um, record in the NFL at fourteen and two, and they were upset in the playoffs by the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. but they their defense is so good, it got so much better this year with the free agents. As in the first episode, I said that they did the best free agency this year, and adding Jamal Adams would just put them to the next level. So would, with, so would with the Chiefs. The Chiefs did a, had a very good offseason, and they, imagine Honey Badger, the hard-hitting Honey Badger, with Jamal Adams, one of the best safeties in the NFL. But the thing is, both of those don't have that much catch space. They know that Mahomes is about to get a humorous deal. The Ravens are about to get a good deal with Lamar for being the MVP. They also have a rookie, the um, Honey um, Hollywood Brown, who's also going to get a pretty good deal. The Eagles, I don't think he wants to play for the Eagles. I don't know, but like, I don't believe he'd help. He'd be that good on the Eagles. And then he does. He probably won't. The Texans. Um. I mean, maybe I could visualize Jamal Adams in a Texans uniform, but that's the thing. All these teams 
are really good. Like the 49ers. Yeah, they, he wants to go to a winning team. team, but the winning teams don't have that much cap space. So he'll have to, I think he'll have to take a cut for the amount he wants to get paid. He's, and and then to my last team, the Seahawks, Um, I think he'll go, the Seahawks are trying to rebuild from the Legion of Boom, which wasn't too long ago, 2014, I think. And he just, the Seahawks are in rebuild mode for their defense. And their defense was good last year. But to get a better, I think Jamal Adams, again, would put them to the next level. Even if you have an okay defense, getting Jamal Adams would make your defense so much better. It would be like to the next, as I keep saying, to the next level. But then teams would have to plan around Jamal Adams. And it's like Aaron Donald, except he plays safety. It's the same exact thing. Yeah, and also, th- this... Adam Schefter tweeted, here are the seven teams to which Jets Pro Bowl safety Jamal Adams welcome a trade. So he doesn't know if the Ravens are interested, if the Texans, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Cowboys are interested. The thing is, the, the Cowboys are probably still interested, and because their biggest need is a safety, they're probably going to try to get him. Now everyone else, they have a pretty good safety. Yeah, but the, that my only... I keep saying this. The only problem is their cap space. They have to sign Dak, and their cap could go down next year, and they have to get a deal done. But if they get a deal done, I don't know if they'll have enough space for Jamal Adams. The MLB has proposed a new 60-game schedule. Yeah, so the MLB proposed a 60-game plan with full pay to the players, but the players came back saying that 60 games was too short. Because usually, how many games does the MLB season have? Like 170 to 180. Yeah. I can't. I don't know the exact amount. But the MLB's PA said that was too short, so they proposed a 70 game plan. And Rob Manfred, the um, MLB commissioner, said no, but that he still has to talk to the to the MLB owners. So I think that this this, as we say with most plans, I think this is a good plan, but. It's always there's always a better option, and I think there's some there's probably some way to have more games than sixty. You could extend the season and have a shorter off season next year. You could have more double headers. You could have maybe a first triple header. I'm no not triple header, but like back to back games, back to back double headers. Who knows? You could come up with a plan like that, and if it's if it's accepted, then it could go. And if the MLBPA approves it, then who knows? You could have one of the best seasons ever in MLB history. Yeah, so, but like you said, the MLB players view the 60-game schedule as too short. Yeah. They want more. Yeah, so, Ars, what do you think about this? Yeah, so like you said, I think it's not that good of a plan if the players aren't don't agree to it, and they have to agree it, to it to be able to actually play. So I believe that they have to find a good balance between what the players want and what the owners want. And then they have to build on that. Next, please enjoy our interview with former NFL player and motivational speaker, Marcus Ogden. Marcus Ogden is a former NFL offensive lineman who played Division I football at Howard University. In 2003, Mr. Ogden was drafted into the NFL. Over his five-year career, he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills, and Tennessee Titans. Now, he is an inspirational keynote speaker, executive coach, best-selling author, and marketing leader, helping to build the success of others. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ogden, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Can't complain. Thanks for having me on. When did your 
love for football start? I, my love of football started when I was in high school. I was about 13 years old. I was a freshman uh, playing uh, JV football, and that really was the first time that I realized uh, in my life that I really enjoyed football, uh, playing it, you know, as a, as a, you know, with my teammates in a, in a real competitive setting. Yeah. So the reason we started the podcast is because my brother and I, who are 17 months apart, are inseparable. We wake up talking sports, go to bed talking sports, and talk sports in between. We also play football and basketball together every day. You also have a brother who is six years older than you, who played in the NFL and is a Hall of Famer. Do you have such memories with your brother? And if so, please tell us more about them. Yeah, you know, my brother and I are, are close, and but we don't really have a lot of, you know, we don't really compete against each other, you know, and with the one thing we love doing when we both played this, uh, played in the NFL was helping each other because my brother had a lot of knowledge that I didn't have about how to play the game at a high level. So, you know, he helped me become a better athlete, a better player, and a better teammate to my teammates. So it was really good to have a brother who was that – caliber of player because it made my life uh, so much easier when I was, you know, trying to become a good a good NFL player. So, of course, you earned a scholarship for Division One football at Howard University. After you finished your college career, how did you transition into the NFL, and what was it like to be drafted? I transitioned at just like that by being drafted out of Powell University uh, the summer before, I guess the spring before I was drafted. I went to a couple, I went to an all star game in, uh, in Maui called the Hula Bowl. I did a lot of my workouts. I, I did a lot of training uh, in lifting and running and technique and skill development. And it really helped me become who I was as a player by making me understand how much I needed to work and work at a high level to continue to become successful. So, you know, that transition time for me was all about just really working hard and developing myself beyond the gridiron by doing things like, the, you know, the mental part, the physical part to help myself get ready to be drafted to the National Football League. Yeah, and in the last 10 years, the draft has become such a big thing for the NFL so how did you feel when your name was called by the Jaguars? Oh, it was amazing. I, I, I never, I'll never forget, I got a phone call from the then head coach of the Jaguars, Jack Del Rio, who I knew for my entire – well, I knew Jack when I was – since I was 17 years old when he was a coach for the Ravens when my brother played for the Ravens. So for me to get the call from the Jaguars, because uh, a lot of their staff, had transitioned from the Ravens to the Jaguars. And I knew a lot of people from the staff in the front office, and to get that phone call from Jack Del Rio was absolutely just one of the highlights of my professional career. And when you got drafted, did you start, like, partying and getting so excited, or did you keep that, like, mindset going to earth and you kept working hard to try to get to the point that you'd like to be? Oh, no, absolutely. I kept working hard because being drafted is one thing. Being good enough to stay and make a career out of it and make, you know, get paid for many years is another. So I, I really focused on working hard, the training in the off season, 
uh, you know, staying at the facility, working with, out with our coaches and position coaches and watching film. Uh, I really made it a – I made it my job, you know, you know, 12 months out of the year, 24 hours a day. So in 2005, you played with the Ravens. What was it like to play with likely Hall of Famer Terrell Suggs and Hall of Famers Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Deion Sanders, and, of course, your brother, Jonathan Ogden, who is part of the NFL 100 team? Wow. I mean, you know what? That's a, that's a man. Jonathan, Ray, Ed, Terrell, and Deion, that's, that's five Hall of Famers. And of the five, my brother, Ray, Deion, uh, and Ed are all top 100. So, Four of the five were top 100 players of all time. That just tells you how good the Ravens were at that time. But also, it makes me remember how much I learned that year because being around all those great players, a lot of those players were all about giving back knowledge and teaching and helping others, you know, become their best. So it was absolutely amazing to play with all those people and all those guys on my team. Yeah, and then also you had gone with the Buffalo Bills from 2005 to 2007, which was your longest team. So how was it, what was it really like to be on each team and like how'd you bond with those players? What was your relationship? So basically you had to get to learn uh, who the vet, who the who the main veterans were, what was their demeanor, what did they like? Every football player, be every person in general has a pattern. Like I call it pattern recognition. What do they like? What don't they like? Uh, what are some things that they could you could get to, that you could know about them to help better their relationship? Right. So what is those what do those things look like? So for me. It was really much, um, you know, getting to the teams and getting to know the veterans and then adjusting myself accordingly. And But, of course, as being an offensive lineman, I was always really tight with all my line teammates, which made it for a very tra- an easy transition to move from team to team because offensive linemen, we get along together very well, and a lot of us could bond over things that other players or the teammates didn't really understand. And then after your retirement in 2010, you founded Caden Premier Enterprises. How did you transition from being an NFL player to an entrepreneur? I took the skill set of being a great leader, a hard worker, and someone that knew about, you know, sacrifice and dedication, and I took that mindset into my craft as a business owner. And even though my business failed in 2013 because I made some really bad mistakes, uh, Today in my new business, I utilize the same skill sets of leadership, hard work, you know, sacrifice to run our new business, which I'm very blessed to say is doing very, very well. In 1990, Gene Upshaw created an, a fund that assists former NFL players who are facing financial hardship due to unforeseen crisis. How does this help you turn your life around? Oh, the, the, the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund, it literally saved my life by paying four months of my bills to my creditors when I was in no financial position to do so because I had lost everything in my business. And as a result of that, 
when I was able to get back on my feet and get a chance to, you know, get myself some solid ground to build my to rebuild my life over, the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund was the catalyst and the starting point to help me do that. And how did you learn from your mistakes and take the next steps to success? Huh. I learned that just because you have success early doesn't mean you're going to have success for long if you don't have a good mindset and a humble attitude. And in my new business to today, even though we're having a lot of success, uh, I just got hired by the third largest staffing company in the world uh, called Manpower Group. And just because I was hired by them, I'm, a, I'm very excited, I'm very fortunate, but it doesn't make me better than anybody else. It doesn't make my demeanor change at all. And that's the difference in me today than I was seven years ago. My attitude towards having success, I've learned how to learn how to have it without having it take over my life. Currently, you are a well-known public speaker and best-selling author. How did your career evolve into doing this? You know, same thing as anybody else. Hard work, getting out there, doing a lot of free work, getting in front of the right people, and then building out my network. It took me a long time to develop relationships that were very much both ways, like there was a lot of value for them and a lot of value for me. And as a result of that, uh, it took me, whew, I started, it took me almost seven years to build this business, and I'm working harder every day. But it's taken, it took me about six and a half, six years to get to the point where people knew me enough to trust me to hire me on a consistent basis. And just to follow up on that, what advice do you have for youth and people in your situation to help them achieve success? I would tell people to do three things. Be ambitious, create goals, and a blueprint for the life you want. Be driven, which means be inspired to work hard for the long haul, not motivated by short-term or fiscal gain. And then be hardworking. Focus on yourself and not the competition. Mr. Ogden, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We learned so much about your life and how you persevered and your dedication. Arsh and I had a great time talking to you, especially about the hardship you went through after retirement and how you beat the odds. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's Two Brothers in the Sports podcast. Tune in every week to hear the latest in sports that week. Listen wherever you get your favorite podcast. Thanks and have a great day. Yeah.